Hey guys, welcome back to the Alpha Artist Podcast, official podcast of digital and creative media works. Where each week we take some for pop culture and try to break it down to better understand it. My name is David. Hello, my name is Ben. And we're a bit of a different setup for those of you watching this on the video stream. We're um, slightly translated forward. We're a little bit further forward in the studio. And to be honest, I don't hate it. I think it might be better framing. Yeah. Um, we'll see how we go in the long run. But the reason that we're here and we've got headphones on is we're not talking to ourselves. We are joined by a special guest, Adam De Colobus. Damn it, I said Colobus. <laughs> Is that right, isn't it? Is that isn't that right, Adam? It's it's close. It's Decolibus. Decolibus. Yeah, um, and right. Adam is so is the author of upcoming book Caravan. Um, upcoming. Uh, how, how do you describe it to people when you when you're pitching them the novel? Uh, well, it depends. One of the easiest ways that I describe it to them is I say, "There's this guy from England who gets hired to go to the Sahara and take pictures of the of the people and of the caravan and of uh, the desert." And it happens uh, in the early 20s. And while he's there, he becomes really fascinated with the desert. And he's forced to make this decision between staying over there and going back to England and uh, living the life that he wants to live. Yeah, it's I've, I've read it, um, thoroughly enjoyed it. Hmm. There is some great action toward the middle and the end. That I just, yeah, it's really great. So it, it's highly recommended. And when does that one come out? Just so that people might, might uh, know where to find that one and when to look for it. It's going to be coming out uh, in early January. The original uh, release date was going to be on December 20th, but we ran into some file problems with our manufacturer, and uh, we've got to push the date just a little bit. Can totally relate. Bloody, bloody manufacturer. Yeah, had the same problem with my book, so <laughs> totally understand. Um, fabulous. So the reason that we've got you on today is, A, your book's coming out in January, which is exciting, and, and uh, we'll, we'll put some links and stuff to that in, into the show notes, and might, might talk about it briefly at the end, and then you and I are currently planning to, to do a kind of an in-depth interview about it. But the other reason is that this book seems like it was heavily inspired by Lawrence of Arabia, so that's what we're going to be talking about today. Yeah, yeah. No, uh, Lawrence of Arabia definitely had a, a large effect on my writing of the book itself. Uh, even while I was actually writing it and, and going it through, I just have Lawrence of Arabia playing in the background because I felt <laughs> uh, it just really influenced my train of thought that that well. I felt like that is where the book needed to be, and it really pushed it in the, in, into the right place. Totally. No, I, you, I completely see Did that. you just have the overture playing just on repeat as you wrote this, <laughs> as you wrote this book? Just the soundtrack? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, no, I, it's 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 interesting now that I've seen the film again recently, having also read the book recently, I can kind of see some of the parallels, mm. um, which is really interesting. And we'll, we'll kind of get into the, the summary in a minute, but I just want to get everyone's kind of first, like, you know, because Ben, I don't think you'd seen this before, had no, you? No, this is the first time I saw this one, yeah. What'd you think of it? Coming, uh, coming into well, it? I, I spent the first couple minutes going like, why is it just a black screen until Laura correctly pointed out that this is a film from the 60s and that's what they do yeah they just play their overture for the first it's everyone can sit screen. down in the cinema yeah um and then i strapped myself in for four hours of watching this film and hearing the same theme mm-hmm. over and over that's which was a good four hours it wasn't bad no um but it's long it's a long film um but yeah no i overall enjoyed it there's there are some things that I was like, oh, it's a bit weird. Yeah, this is a bit odd. Um, but yeah. I think it comes from just the, you know, the it's age. a film from the 60s. And, yeah. Um, but I can definitely see why it's such a classic. You know, it, it won a bajillion awards. Yeah, it's super so, dope. Yeah, I think no, I it, it. it won um, seven Oscars, seven two Oscars. BAFTAs, and a Golden Globe. And a partridge and a pear tree. <laughs> yeah, man. It's like, this is a highly, highly decorated film. Uh, what did you think? Well, what is it you like the most about this this film, Adam? And like, why why is why are you drawn to it, especially on a repeat watching? Mm. 
Mm. I'd have to say uh, what I like about it the most is that like any good, really good, uh, like any really good historical film or, or book, you can tell that there's just a level of realism that is, it's almost scary how real it is because yeah, it's, it's fantasized and everything and, you know, things are exaggerated, but there's just a realism there that uh, really connects with me. Yeah, totally. And I, th I think especially like in the execution of the film itself, because it is an older film, like a lot of the stuff that they do in, in like the different scenes, they just actually had to do like, it's got that kind of Star Wars texture to it where everything feels very like realistic. Like they had to, you know, like if they wanted to crash a car, they had to crash, a they had to crash a yeah. fucking car. <laughs> like that kind of, that kind of filmmaking always lends itself to that. I yeah. Feel. They derail the yeah. train because they needed a scene to yeah. where they derail the train, which yeah. was amazing. Yeah. But like you get one shot at that. If you fuck that up, <laughs> that's an expensive mistake. You know what I mean? Like can't go back to yeah. the train store. Yeah, gotta yeah. go back to the train store, man. Get yeah. a new train, get a new rail. Get a new rail. Just to derail it. <laughs> exactly. Um, yeah, so uh, we kind of touched on this, but it came out in 1962, and it's loosely based on the life of T.E. Lawrence, directed by David Lean and produced by Sam Spiegel. It was nominated for 10 Oscars at the 35th Academy Awards and won seven, uh, including Best Picture, Best Director, uh, and it also won two BAFTAs and a Golden Globe. Um Unless there's anything else anyone wants to say, I might just dive right into the summary and get us kicked off. Yeah, let's go. All right. Wish me luck. It's a long one. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Part one opens with Lawrence's death in a motorcycle accident in the year 1935. During a memorial service at St. Paul's, a reporter tries to learn about the remarkable enigmatic fellow from those who were close to him, but ultimately struggles. We then join Lawrence during his time in World War I, where he is young and brash and quickly develops a reputation. Against General Murray's objections, Dryden from the Arab Bureau sends Lawrence to check on Prince Faisal's progress in his revolt against the Turks. Lawrence goes with a guide, Tafis, who is killed by Sheriff Ali for drinking from his well without permission. As his journey progresses, Lawrence meets Colonel Brighton, who orders Lawrence to keep his head down, make his assessment, and get the hell out. Lawrence, against orders again, almost immediately speaks with Faisal, and his candor draws the prince's interest. Colonel Brighton suggests Faisal retreat in the wake of a defeat, but Lawrence offers an alternate solution. A surprise attack... I, I don't know how... I think it's Akaba. A surprise attack of Akaba to capture a port where the British could offload needed supplies. During its isolation... Sorry, due to its isolation, the town is heavily fortified against naval uh, assaults, but more or less defenseless via land. Faisal approves a force of 50 men, led by Sheriff Ali, and along with orphans Dowd and Farah, Lawrence and co. cross the Nefer Desert. The desert is thought to be impassable by all, and during their journey, Gassim falls off his camel during the night, defeated by fatigue. Lawrence rides back to save him, and in the act, wins over Sheriff Ali, who then gives Lawrence Arab robes. During their travels, as they approach the Turks, Lawrence convinces a local Ho Hoitat tribe to turn against the Turks. Lawrence's plan is nearly foiled when one of Ali's men kills a member of the tribe due to a blood feud. Lawrence without knowing who it is, announces he will execute the culprit himself. In his hopes to galvanize the alliance, he is dismayed to discover that the culprit was Gassim, the very man he saved. Nonetheless, Lawrence shoots Gassim. The next morning, the mission is a, is a success as the tribe overruns the Turkish garrison. Lawrence rides for Cairo to inform Dryden and General Al Albany of the victory. During their trip back, Dowd finds his death in quicksand, and upon Lawrence's return, Lawrence is promoted to Major. When discussing his task with General Al Alibi, I 
I can never say his name. Lawrence confesses he liked killing Gassim and that he is struggling with his choices. Albany brushes this aside, as well as rumors that the British have designs of designs on Arabia. Now, that's kind of where part part one ends. Um, I can take a quick breather. <laughs> what did we What did we think of uh, of part one? Kind of when you lay it out like that. Like part one is basically a film in itself. You know, you can you could end the film at the intermission, and mm. it's like okay, so pretty satisfying. Yeah, it's. I think yeah. part one is very much. I would say, based on my very minor research, that it's probably the closest to reality in terms of what happened. This sort of the character that Lawrence is. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so I think part one is really really good, and it it you know just coming into the film, it really it sets up the second act gives you such a solid foundation for understanding his character it's again it's like it's its own film so coming into the second Mm. act it's like the sequel the dark gritty sequel where everything (laughs) goes wrong you know it's a bit like that that's a good way of thinking (laughs) yeah what did you think adam of the uh of the first first part i'd agree with ben i'd say that in the beginning there was definitely uh they definitely go overboard on the scenery. Yeah, yes. <laughs> yeah, they play that overture you, as much as they you can. You know, I feel like I feel like they really uh, wanted to drive the fact that they were in the desert in the beginning, and uh, they did a really good job of showing how how large it was. Because you see some dunes, you're like, okay, okay, I get the picture, dunes, and then you see these tiny little specks just appear, and you're like, holy cow, <laughs> those are people, massive. and they do it yeah. to you like eight times. And by the end of it, you feel kind of traumatized, and I don't yeah, know. I feel I like I, I don't want to go outside after that park because I'm like, what if it's the desert out there? Like, I'm every time they do yeah. a shot where <laughs> they see someone sort of appear on the horizon, where they're still just like a they're they're a haze. They're basically still a mirage. Mm. I'm just astounded by that because they would have actually had to send some dude the fuck a good, out like ten yeah. k's out. To get that shot. And what kind of lenses are they wielding in 1962 <laughs> where they can capture that kind of information? Yeah, like, no, it's insane. You know, it's some guy on like this this old busted ass video camera, like with a giant telescopic lens, you know, <laughs> trying to make that shot work. Yeah. And they're like, "Hey, go!" Like, like how do you coordinate that? You know, like that to it's me, insane. it's yeah. it's it's amazing that they they pull it off so many times. Yeah. And I would love to. They they probably got it from the uh, from the people who were linked up with the space program. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the guys at the guys at NASA were like, "Yeah, okay, go." Yeah, hey man, it was in the sixties. Who a good knows? Point. You know, people yeah, oh, know 19, people. Yeah, was the the, uh, the 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 rocket. So who knows? You know, yeah. maybe uh, maybe yeah. maybe they had some hookups. I don't know. Okay, l- let me get into part two because part two is when shit gets uh, shit gets real, folks. Okay, uh, part two opens with Lawrence in the midst of a guerrilla war against the Turks, foiling their plans at every opportunity. War correspondent Jackson Bentley reports Lawrence's quote-unquote heroics and quickly makes him famous back home. During a raid, Farah is injured badly and Lawrence kills him out of mercy rather than see him be tortured. Later, when scouting the city of Dara with Ali, he and a group of residents are taken to the Turkish Bay. Lawrence is beaten, stripped, prodded, and flogged, then thrown into the streets. Lawrence returns to headquarters visibly shaken and feels like he doesn't fit in anymore. General Albany convinces Lawrence to partake in a push on Damascus, and in the end, Lawrence goes, accompanied by a fighting force more interested in coin than the Arab cause. A group of Turkish soldiers is riding away, ones who have slaughtered the residents of Tafas, and one of Lawrence's men demands they attack, and rides out alone only to be murdered. Lawrence takes up the man's battle cry, and they butcher the Turks. Lawrence immediately regrets this decision, but his men take Damascus ahead of the general's forces. Despite Lawrence's best efforts, the Arab... 
the Arab administrative council bicker and fight and fail to manage the city now that they have it, ultimately and disappointingly leaving it largely to the British to manage. Lawrence is once again promoted, this time to colonel, and is immediately ordered back to Britain. Lawrence leaves the city, and his automobile is passed by a motorcyclist who leaves a trail of dust in his wake. Credits. It's a fucking dark part two, man. When you explain it, it seems like a- part two is a lot shorter when you explain it like that. It's well, less happens, yeah. yeah. It's much more about, like, the- the feelings about, like, what's happening rather- where I think part one is, like, about the events that are recurring, whereas part two is, like, the way that Lawrence is dealing with what's happening around yeah. him. Um, mm. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I, I think that that kind of, uh, that halfway pivot where it's like, okay, now it's going to be really, like, not dark, I mean, because it is fucking dark, but, like, mm. it's it's more so that they took the, the building blocks of Act 1, which is all of this expositional information, and they really injected into this kind of more, um, part two to me feels a bit more like an Indiana Jones, but, like, if it was also Hurt Locker. Like, it's got that kind <laughs> of... Um, it's a bit more like, I don't know, part one's very much like a desert trip. It's like a road trip, whereas part two very much feels like this is the, like, you go and do a job and it goes terribly wrong and then you come back home kind of yeah. thing. I don't know. It's 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 interesting, especially given what we know about T.E. Lawrence's life and the way that he kind of reported that as well, because there is a big discussion about this film and, like, maybe that it, it twists history in a way that is maybe not very helpful for anyone involved. Um, this guy, uh, biographer Michael Corder, um, was a big refuter of this, and you know he he had this big kind of argument with a few people. Um, and there's a quote that I have from him, um, which is uh, he says, and I quote: "The object was to produce not a faithful docudrama that would educate the audience, but a hit picture, which I totally agree with. Like there's stuff in this that probably didn't happen, um, which is interesting. Like is that something that when when you go back through and you look at this stuff, Adam? Like is that something that you're aware of?" like trying to delineate between what the good story is well what's what's a good story to tell and like historical accuracy like especially because you played around in that historical fiction space like is that something that you're kind of always thinking about with with films like this and with 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 your book yeah yeah definitely and i think that they they had their what do you call it they had their objectives uh set correctly by deciding to go a little bit off the books and create a hit picture because well it worked for them one and two, I think that anything, you know, obviously if you're not bending the rules crazily because then you're just making a movie, uh, anything that helps make a good picture or make a good book, uh, I say go ahead and put it in there. And, you know, like even one of the even one of the, the big historical inaccuracies that they had was that uh, Lawrence of Arabia, uh, a T. Lawrence, a T. E. Lawrence actually didn't like uh, killing at all when he when he killed uh, Gassim, he you know, there are reports of him actually feeling very shooken up about it. And a lot of people who uh, who talked to the directors and people who were getting information about the film uh, were very shocked that uh, they, they portrayed him that way. I don't know, like, toward the, the middle of that first part, he's kind of, like, pretty pretty savage. Like, like he's kind of into it, you know? Yeah. yeah. But And they yeah. even twisted some other stuff. Like, apparently, in real life, Lawrence and Allenby were, like, pretty like they they admired each other like at um at his funeral uh albany said and i quote i have lost a good friend and a valued comrade lawrence was under my command but after acquainting him with my strategical plan i gave him a free hand his cooperation was marked by the utmost loyalty and i never had anything but praise for his work which indeed was invaluable throughout our campaign so like they seem like good buds (laughs) but the film makes them out to be this kind of weird standoffish like 
it's such a weird relationship. Yeah, and I I think yeah. coming back to sort of making a good story, they've they've taken a period of history which, you know, World War One. There's you know there's a lot of films that have kind of taken that period of time and sort of trying to weave stories in yeah. in and out of it. You know, this is World War Two, but like another example is like Saving Private Ryan. You know, like another sort of big um, semi-realistic historical action. It's more of an action flick though. Yeah. Um, Whereas that was based on World War Two, and they were like, you know, let's take a story that we want to tell and sort of just kind of plonk it in this time period during World War Two. I think this film is kind of interesting where they've they've taken World War One, which was such a different war. Like they're they're very different wars. Yeah. You know, it, they they do touch on it in this film where they sort of at the start where the the Turks, or I believe the Turks are, are like gunning and bombing the Arab camp, mm-hmm. and they're just like we're not used to. You know, we're not yeah. used to this kind of weaponry. You know, they're trying to chase them down with their bloody yeah. scimitars on horses. It's a totally different game. Yeah, and I think they take that aspect of World War One, and they sort of, they put it into the story. You know, the idea of just like, you know, we want guns. And it's like, well, we can give you rifles. It's like, no, 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 we want guns. Yeah, you misunderstood. Like, we want those guns. And it's like that that difference <laughs> in technology then kind of, for one, it it was a big drive behind the Arab Revolt in the first place. Yeah. But they they kind of use it to this advantage where, you know, like, you know, you may have guns, you may have this, but we have Lawrence of Arabia. You know, we have this godlike figure who yeah. is kind of, you know, they even allude him to Moses what, in the film. Yeah. And he, you know, yeah, yeah. he kind of acts a little bit like a Moses character. It's like a dress down prophet. Yeah. yeah. Which is kind of cool, though, because I think like, you know, there's this interesting intersection. We'll get to it with my meta reading at the end, but there's an interesting intersection of... This kind of storytelling where it's like the kind of, the, you know, the sprawling Arab adventure, which we've seen a lot of um, kind of pre-World War One, especially like, you know, when uh, the the Franz Ferdinand, just before he died, there was like a bunch of books that came out that were very similar because I think after World War One, people were really enwrapped with these ideas. But there's something to this weird like intersection of like western style storytelling i'm talking like westerns like cowboy westerns and like the japanese samurai stuff and this kind of has a mix of all of that where it's like this kind of you know you have the sprawling adventure across a desert but you also have the kind of the gunslinger samurai moses prophet person in the middle of it like it's kind of interesting i don't know it's something that i was thinking about a lot when i was going back and making notes um because i was trying to make up what role lawrence is trying to play in this story because in the first act he he definitely becomes that kind of the leader and the kind of the 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 moses person who's going to lead them to victory and whatever yeah. but in the second part it's like i, I don't know what, what what do you take that to mean adam where like you know in the second half he's just like kind of they flip that on its head you know yeah he you put it really well he definitely goes savage in the second half and what's something that i noticed and i made a i made a note of it is that at the beginning of it we see uh sheriff ali he kills uh lawrence of arabia's guide and we we see this kind of power structure of of who's showing mercy and who's more lenient, who's you know who values saving lives more. And as the film goes on, we see Sheriff Ali go down, and we sh- and we see uh, Lawrence of Arabia go up on who's more willing to take lives. And I thought that was really really interesting, just as as a as a component of the film. Yeah, I hadn't I thought of that. It's an interesting foil, that. isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Yeah, because. You know, the whole time through the mm-hmm. film, I you know I was aware of like oh, you know he they he killed this guy at the start of the film this and that and the other but I yeah it's interesting that they kind of the reasoning for 
Ali to kill his guide is, is you know, it's more of a, this is, there's a reason he took my water without, you know, he knows there's that he shouldn't have done this. He also ran for a gun, you know, it's, it was, you know, there's an argument of self-defense. Yeah. Whereas sort of, and in particular during the, um, when Lawrence is attacking the, uh, the Turkish, you know, caravan that's running the people, stragglers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, that's, oh, that's just, that scene is, that's really just like, that's like a blood It's rage. hard to watch. Yeah, yeah. Like that, it's, it's quite different. Yeah. He's a, to- yeah, he's totally, he's gone off the deep end at that point. Yeah. Which, and then I like that they reward him and send him back to England for that. Like there's something to, you well, know. I, I took in, in this film, I took the, uh, the promotion to general as more of a, uh, like a protection for Lawrence. Cause to he, save him he from says, himself. well, he says, I'm promoting you to general. You're going home, but now because you're a general, you get your own private. You get your own private coach. Yeah. Whereas if he was still a major, yeah. he would be with everyone else, and you know no. he would have thought, oh, probably let's just get let's just get him his own <sighs> bed. Yeah, let's that's just keep him a bit separate from everyone else. Everyone else for now. Yeah. Well, I mean, because even he even expresses that he kind of feels like he doesn't fit in anymore. Yeah. Which is okay. So, um, I don't know if you've read the book that this is. Oh, not the the autobiography that this is based on, Adam. Um, the Seven Pillars of Wisdom. Um, no, it's no, I fucking haven't. wild. <laughs> like, so basically, basically, the book is called, like the book is called Seven Pillars of Wisdom, and it's it was T. Lawrence writing about his own life, and the title of the book comes from um this part in Proverbs because of course it does, and the 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 section that it, it gets its name from is um quote wisdom hath builded her house she hath hewn out her seven pillars end quote, and the book is a huge part of what they've based the film on, um. But a lot of the book is just T. Lawrence eyewitness testimonying about his life, and um, <laughs> there's there's it's great de- delving into the historical like kind of refutes of this book. And there was this historian Charles Hill who said, "quote A novel traveling under the cover of autobiography is all there is in this," which is basically like T. Lawrence has just lied about his life, wow. and then they base the film on it. <laughs> so it's 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 these two levels of abstraction away from what really happened right and so that's that's why you know the lawrence's estate were like upset with the film because it depicted him as like this kind of blood-soaked lunatic toward the second part <laughs> but like to be honest lawrence lied about his own life so there's no like no one can really confirm a lot of the details properly like yeah. they can kind of they go oh we know he was in this place so we can confirm that this something happened here but what he actually did we have no idea so it's I don't know, like, you can talk about historical text. How do you know what actually happened? Like, that's kind of cool, I think. Well, I thought there was an interesting element with the uh, reporter because a lot of the public image of T. Lawrence was built up by this reporter who was following him around and sort of documenting everything he was doing. Mm. And then this film almost kind of follows that same line of just, like, at least in the first act of like, look how much of a hero Lawrence is and look mm-hmm. how great he is. But then the character of the, like the character himself, who's playing the, uh, the reporter, mm-hmm. he's also in the film following Lawrence around, it's reporting weird. back home, yeah. how much of a hero he is. And then slightly his downfall a little bit. It's almost like the first act, the first part is you're viewing it from the retelling of the, of a reporter. Yeah. The first the act second- is like, this is what, the reporter has been telling wow. people and then the second, second is what is, really happened. is what sort of really happened or what lawrence is it's it's definitely oh, like interesting like built in lawrence perspective that's interesting i thought of that man that that adds like another layer <laughs> well too. especially because you know this film has been like refuted by a lot of people and yeah. 
you kind of have to go like, okay, well then, first bit's propaganda. Perspective, yeah. yeah, like where because the acts are so mm. different. Like you, there has to, there is a line literally drawn in the middle of this film of a good two minutes of nothing where it's like mm. you from a film perspective. You always there's always a difference between the first act and the second act, especially when you have an intermission. But in this case, like it's a, it's that's so it's so fucking interesting. Like <laughs> that, it, like it's so deliberate that they put that break in. Yeah, like that. That's yeah. I mean, you make yeah. a choice to make. Like, like, now, now here's what really happened. Yeah, here's yeah, here's <laughs> now let's take off the rose tinted glasses and let's let's see the massacre kind of thing. Yeah, man, that's um, and yeah. especially like because you know this this is a weird. Also, it's worth noting. That the book, when Lawrence was working on it, um, he was literally bankrupt and um, had he, he. So he wrote this guy's a fucking lunatic. He wrote like <laughs> he wrote like this this several million word manuscript, and no one would want to. Re- no one was going to read it. And his friends convinced him as he was like running out of money. They were like, "You need Let's you need to story. abridge this and make yeah. it shorter and make it more accessible." And so the book that came out isn't even close to like the actual original text, which is out there somewhere. But. It's weird then if you think about that delineation because it's clearly trying to say something about the way that we view war in film and the way that we've like kind of we're able to look back with this kind of propagandist lens and say oh well this guy is you know this hero but then if you look at the truth of what actually happened it's not even condoning that either because it seems like the outcome is that he gets to go home and he's kind of okay for the time being I mean like war in general is for a lot of people it's just a job mm. um Yesterday I watched They Shall Not Grow Old, which is a fantastic documentary. I'll talk mm-hmm. about it later. Yeah. Um, and the perspective, and these were British soldiers on the Western Front, which is very different to what this was. Yeah. Um, but same time period. Same time period. Uh, for the, a lot of them, it was just a job. Yeah. They went and, you know, they didn't really want to fight. They were just kind of like, they had this idea of, well, we got to go to war. Yeah. Got to get paid. As well. yeah. There was a story in the documentary about um, in Britain, right when the war was sort of announced this football team was playing with a german team that had flown in internationally and they were they were sitting around the the table having dinner and then uh, someone ran in and said we're at war with germany and they sort of looked around and they went yeah the war begins tomorrow yeah and if you know for a lot of these people <laughs> and yeah it was just a job yeah which, which... whereas for you know the in Lawrence of Arabia, the the Arab revolt that was definitely a that for them that was more of than just a job. It, that was, was, it was about ideals and it was about yeah. ma- making a- for the Turks. You know, an argument could be made that was their job. They were because yes. they were very much a modernized military much, at even, that point. You can see that in the second act, where the, the the group that he gets commissioned to go with him are basically just mercenaries. Yeah. Whereas in the first act, it's like people that are believing in a political cause. And he's convincing them to go along with it. Which then begs the question, if we're, if we're to believe, if we're to take the first act as the propagandist retelling, in reality, was he not like this leader, but they were just paid? Like, you know, <laughs> like, is, 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 that, is that them idealizing mm. that maybe? I don't know. It's really- mm. Yeah, that's an interesting yeah. take. I didn't realize I, I had that opinion, but there you go. I just <laughs> learned I do. That's, yeah. Um, that's kind of interesting, too, because then that also implies that as you get through the bulk of this story, because there's some narrative elements in this that don't make any fucking sense in real life. Like, Sheriff Ali's character, whilst one of my favorites in the story, as you pointed out, which is a cool thing, he's like the foil for, for Lawrence, but, like, if if they truly went on that trajectory, Ali would just, like, probably not have a job. Because his job is to go out there and make sure that the right people get killed. Right. And as the story goes on, he's less hesitant to kill. Like, it's kind of... That probably wouldn't hold up in, like, a, you know, in a, in a work environment, as Ben pointed out. Like, they're there to do a job. 
so it's, I don't know. It's kind of interesting. Do we have any like kind of kind of um, closing thoughts on the narrative as a whole before I get into my kind of meta reading um, and 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 probably ruin this quite nice film? <laughs> you know, I, I I do have one. I gotta say that Sharif's uh, uh, Ari Sharif's uh, entry by getting a headshot from a camel is yeah. like what what an entry. <laughs> what, a, what a fucking way to come in. Well, that's a very yeah, it's like yeah, you know, you know how I'm gonna get introduced. Headshot. From well, that's the almost very like Western cowboy as well. That's you know, the sheriff yeah. comes in and shoots, or the he shoots the yeah. gun out of the guy's hand. Yeah, you know, it's very. You know what? Yeah. So, sorry to interrupt. Go, no, it's, uh, it's just it's very like idealistic. You know, it's just like wow, what a great shot. He's like, yeah, he's a cracking shot with that iron <laughs> on his hip. You know, it's it's that kind of like ridiculous, <laughs> probably not real, but it looks good on film kind of scenario. Yeah. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I felt like throughout the film, there was definitely, and I don't know how I was picking this up, because this has to be like the, probably the eighth time I've seen this film. There's definitely uh, just the slightest touch of West, of, a, of a Western movie aspect, because when they, when uh, Lawrence of Arabia and one of the, one of the two orphans that he has with him, when they go to, when they finally cross the Sinai Desert and they reach the canal, the abandoned building that they reach almost looks like a, uh, a Spanish mission in like a cowboy oh, movie. That's, yeah, yeah. You know, like I could see a gunfight yeah, just dude. going down. A big Mexican right there. standoff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. That would be, that would be horrible if they just walked on the set of a Mexican standoff. They're like, Hey guys, we're shooting, <laughs> up, we're shooting an Arabian <laughs> yeah, movie. Get, get out, out of here. here, man. Yeah. You just see guys in some bros. <laughs> that'd be, yeah. That's it. The guys in a fucking ponchos hoofing it out of there. Yeah. <laughs> that'd be fucking great although i wonder too if, if that's not a product of because like when they filmed this they did a lot of it on location but then some of it they just went back to america and they were like let's find a that's desert have yeah yeah so i think there is an element of that which works so well because it's like especially thinking about that lens of like is it propaganda did it really happen like yeah of course you would change details mm. to make it more american and more like western because mm. that's how you'd retell it if you were like an english oh. person who came mm. back everyone speaks english Everyone's so. yeah, exa- that's exactly that's exactly <laughs> right. Taylor Lawrence's kind of perspective on this. I feel, um, yeah, that's yeah. The, the Western stuff, I would. Th- there's almost like a whole podcast in that of itself, deconstructing like mm. which elements they've borrowed from kind of which genres and how that is kind of a. It's not even a, a pastiche, but it's like a kind of well, Frankenstein. Uh, Lawrence, he the only gun he uses is a pistol, whereas everyone else uses rifles. Yeah, and the the pistol is actually the same pistol, despite in the. F- film being a different pistol it's weird it's it's the same type of pistol yeah but it constantly gets thrown away or given to other characters or just kind of discarded but you can kind of always always conjure the same same type of pistol yeah Yeah. and it's interesting that he's sort of you know if you Mm. sort of look at westerners the pistol is the it's It's the the gun gun. of the west yeah whereas the rifle was in world war one the rifle was the soldier's weapon it was it was the mercenary soldier's tool whereas the pistol is definitely the cowboy's equipment yeah which this film's got a lot going on. <laughs> yeah. Um, all right. If you, if 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 y'all are ready, I might get into my meta reading. Settle I'm, in for this one. I'm curious yeah. to see what you think of this, Adam, because I was uh, I was cooking this up when we were talking about initially doing this episode, because um, I was well, I was deep into the um, Arabian Nights stuff and kind of kind of didn't come back from that that deep well um, <laughs> of 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 reading. So obviously, this film is set in a Ara- like it's it's set around the Arabian tropes and like kind of grandfathers in a lot of the stuff from 1001 nights um which for those of you who don't know mm. is a series of folk tales framed within the ruler of sahih sahih and his wife 
Sherry is dad's narrative. I can't say her name. She hears that. Sounds right. Yeah. And it's got like a really strong Indian yeah. Indian influence in it. Um, it's also like one of the first instances in history of a framed story where like um, people are reporting things back. Um, and it was developed in in the ninth stories from uh, Tantro. I'm not going to try to even say these names, but it, it was it's a story in uh, one one in one thousand nights where it's these concubines are telling the king these stories to kind of get his favor and to keep him interested in them because you know the, the, each concubine is like really struggling to, to be like the leader of the pack kind of thing so they tell him these stories and it's these, these framed narratives in the same way that this story like Lawrence of Arabia is kind of a framed story in that you've got the reporter who's gathering the information after his death and then even in the second like you know the second film is very much less a framed story the second part rather yeah um so it's interesting that it kind of used that trope um one of the key elements of the knight's stories is that it was one of the first uh, bigger kind of folktale representations to feature really strong visualization, particularly like mimetic representation of gestures and stuff and dialogue that actually feels like people talking. I don't know if you all have read any stories before One on One Thousand Nights, but they're fucking impossible. <laughs> Everyone is like soliloquying and shit. Like, right. you know, it's 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 all like Greek, you know, high theater where it's like, yeah. good morrow, sir, fourth come and win. You're like, what the fuck are they saying? <laughs> Whereas like people talk like people in nights. And I think the book so here's here's where my meta reading kind of comes into that. So because it was it kind of has that lifelike quality to it, and so does the film. The problem is the film is based off a book that is not that accurate, and they even take the facts from the book that isn't accurate and then make them less accurate. But in doing so, they use the dramatic devices to make it feel more lifelike by having people talk like people and behave like people. So it's almost like in Lawrence's attempt to imitate his own life events in this book, the film then doubles down and imitates Lawrence's imitation by using this tool set from something that they that Lawrence was drawing on in the first place for inspiration. So it's this weird kind of layered cake of of different things coming together to form the kind of influences that sit within Lawrence of Arabia. And I think that's where like and and I'm gonna hit you with it now. So you know put your seatbelts <laughs> on boys. Um the film captures the quintessential thematic overture of every single story in the nights. So in in One Thousand Arabian Nights, almost every single story has this thing that happens where it starts with an affectation of of destiny or like grandeur where uh, in some way, in a regular situation, destiny intervenes and it creates these like anomalous events that keep getting more and more strange as the story goes on. Uh, and then by the time the story ends, everything is back to normal. That's like how every one in one thousand story happens in in, in the in the nights. Um, and and by the same you know, but but in the in the same token, Lawrence of Arabia you know starts with a, quite a plain setting where it's like oh you're at this funeral, it's like England, and then you go to this kind of mystical journey across the desert where it's like kind of this western arabian indian influence but then by the end of it you know and he has this exhilarating journey and he touches you know what lacan would call the real and he goes to arabia and connects with him true his true self and you know it's they 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 capture the port and they have this this amazing adventure and but ultimately like he finds himself back in normality in a car on the way to home and his death in a motorcycle accident is not heroic it's not valor it's not like this valorization there's no destiny he doesn't die as like this martyr in the war it's just a crappy accident on the road and i think that kind of thematic overture of you go from of from normalcy to this kind of destiny driven adventure back to normalcy 
Like, I don't think it's any accident that that Lawrence's story in his book that was then adapted to the film kind of shares that um, that kind of kind of thematic tune. And I think it's why it feels so genuinely not not uh, Arab or, or Indian in a sense, but it feels genuinely like it, it's thematically linked to to those stories for me. And I just couldn't stop thinking about it when I was watching it this time. Yeah, well, that that layering is interesting because you've got it almost comes out like a modernization of folktale, which we're actually seeing a lot of like nowadays with stuff like Moana and Coco. Disney is doing it pretty much exclusively. Yeah, where it's like let's take a fairly sort of niche kind of like culture that has existed for ages and has always existed, and let's like let's boil it down and look at elements of it that are interesting, and then like develop a story from it so like moana was really just let's just let's look at polynesian culture and let's make something quite spectacular mm-hmm. to be honest i thought moana was great that's great but where this film is it takes yeah it kind of takes that arabian nights kind of those aspects and goes okay and f- yeah through lawrence's retelling of his story which again yeah. sort of has those influences it sort of modern oh, six modernized is in the 60s but you know whatever um it modernizes it and sort of but at the same time yeah it adds so much like western onto it just yeah. because of being in the 60s and yeah has... you know every arab character is actually a white dude with a tan and a, yeah kind of and a, a, <laughs> yeah there's i mean definitely a sign of the times but yeah it, it, i think it it's quite interesting how it how it has so many layers but it still comes out as being coherent and yeah. interesting it's not just like a jumbled mess of racial of different stereotypes ideas. yeah which a lot of stuff at that time was yeah yeah it's like i think this one is it's okay in terms of how it handles the fact that it's a completely non-western culture there's nothing terribly egregious in it no yeah. i think the, the yeah and even some of the dialogue where they sort of talk about oh like a lawrence has gone savage yeah like nowadays you're like shouldn't use the that's a bit that rough one. but yeah. they would have said that like that's what it would have been said in world war one and right. in the 60s they were still like this is fine <laughs> right, it's, it's like watching a tarantino film and never talks like yeah. whatever time period they're from yeah. it's like yeah of course yeah. yeah, you watch, like, The Hateful Eight or yeah. Django Unchained. Yeah. And- People talk a certain <laughs> way. Yeah. You're like, oh, this is rough, but, you know, it, it's what it was. Yeah, totally. Do you have any kind of th- thoughts on the uh, on, on <clears throat> my, my deep well into insanity with the, with the meta reading there, Adam? I don't know, if, is, that, is that stuff you ever kind of thought about? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I, yeah, actually, I do, I do got some thoughts. And <clears throat> something that I love that you mentioned is how uh, they weave in the idea of destiny into the story. I, you could definitely see that quite evidently throughout the movie. You could see this idea that uh, Lawrence of Arabia feels that he's destined to lead the Arab revolt. And just he's it gets to the point where he's living on the literal edge and he's taking risks that he doesn't need to take because he, he you know, there's just this cycle of he goes to take an action, he gets rewarded for it, and he thinks he's destined and then he takes a bigger action, gets rewarded for it, and then thinks he's de- destined. And that just leads to him, uh, you know, nearly dying so, so many times. Many times. <laughs> and, yeah, like, for real, like, just crossing the desert and just the way that they, they show it. Watching that movie just makes me feel dry, yeah, like, man. physically. Like, I'm turning it into a race. <laughs> but but back to it. Uh, like, the, the destiny part of it. It's it's really huge because I like what they say when uh, I think the guy's name is uh, uh, Gassim when he falls yeah. off his camel and he's left behind. 
there's this discussion that goes around like, okay, should, should he go back? Should he go get him? And the, the phrase it is written is thrown around. And I like that Lawrence of Arabia says, uh, you know, certain things are written, but it's, you know, it's written in here and he taps the side of his head. I thought that was really interesting because it was about him in a sense, making his own destiny. I got, yeah. Okay. But, but the, but the irony of that is that then when they finally get all the way to Aklaba, he has to, you know, it, it it does seem destined that he has to kill the guy that he saved. I hadn't thought of that. That's actually really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. There's a kind of, kind of folds back in, in, in on itself. Yeah. Well, even in yeah. the in the second act, when he's attack when they're attacking the Turkish group, he, the, it's really interesting where he's. <clears throat> you can see, and I, like this is really kudos to the actor playing Lawrence. I thought he was amazing in this film, but you could see that he he wants oh, yeah, to attack cool. them, like he wants to attack these Turkish people, because mm. you know he he sort of just has this drive, and when the when one of his men runs off and chases him, he he lets him go. And you and I sort of saw that as like he's he's waiting for an excuse. He's waiting for a reason to attack these Turkish, yep. um, these Turkish stragglers. And when they shoot, you know, the guy who's attacking them, he's like, "Awesome, let's go!" Like it's like a reason. <laughs> he's like he he takes up the battle cry. You can and again like like yeah. you you watch that scene again. You can see it in his face where like he dies and he sort of. He it's like a brightens. It's a like a relief. He's like, yeah, he's, he's like, like well, now I have, now I have, he's like, now I have a reason. Now I have an excuse to attack this. Yeah. Which yeah. is, which, because again, like, if, if if we're talking about that destiny aspect, yeah, you, it, like, if someone, it's like that, that's part of that same kind of value system where it's like, if someone attacks and kills one of your own, you must go back and yeah, because I, I think it's indicative that in the second act he isn't in, he isn't as in control in his own destiny as mm-hmm. he thinks he is. Yeah. Whereas in the start, he's quite. You know, he's quite comfortable going off the beaten path and making decisions. Well, just like that. going against direct orders yeah. and stuff like that. Yeah. But then later on, he's still going against orders per se, but he's he's kind of just going with the flow. He's well, he's, he's tied to like what he's got he an bo- idea of just Damascus. Yeah, he's like he's like if we just get there, that's it'll be all. Fine. Yeah, yeah, it'll be fine. And that's yeah, there's something there's something to that as well where the whole film it feels like and like I was trying to think about what it is about this film that whenever I watch it, it. I was I was get something else from it. Like last time I watched it before this instance, like I kind of I, I learned a lot about like the way that they kind of framed the story with the the kind of Western genre stuff. But this time, like I came at it with a different perspective, where I was like, okay, what about this kind of where does it get the thematic kind of drivers from, and and, and why does it feel so authentically um, its own thing, but at the same time inspired by all of these different tales and, and different influences? And it's it's interesting to me that a film made in the sixties like this. A lot of stuff doesn't age super well because even though you know the sets and stuff might still hold up, the the way that they deal with thematic stuff in older films tends to be a bit like clunky and not good. But this film is so subtle, I think, with a lot of its like kind of subtext, especially that every time I watch it, I just get something different, and that that's not something I say a lot about film. Yeah. I don't think you know, like the the dialogue and sort of like the the framing of dialogue in this film is very much like older kind of film like you know characters will just kind of appear and then you'll figure out two scenes later who they are like stuff like that which is very much just like a they haven't caught up to modern sort of film like storyboarding and stuff like that um but you know it's stuff like Mm. the the soundtrack like this film literally set the bar of this is how you do a radio soundtrack fucks um you know and you know (laughs) the the cinematography and the landscapes like it's it's all that stuff set the bar well, that was where a lot of the Star Wars imagery comes from. 
Yeah, it was like that plus the spaghetti westerns. Yeah, it's interesting. <laughs> um, we kind of have to wrap up because we're running over. Do you have any kind of closing thoughts that you want to add in, Adam, before we uh, before we move forward? Um, any closing thoughts? It's definitely an amazing mm-hmm. movie. It's yeah. it's huge in like the length and like the soundtrack. Like it definitely goes hard. The the extras and everything. I'd say it's an amazing yeah. movie. Completely agree. I think yeah, that's, I, yeah. I, I've always like, I always knew this film existed because, you know, you hear it everywhere, but I never really watched it because I was like, eh, whatever, Lawrence of Arabia. And I never really, you know, and then when I saw it was four hours, I was like, okay, this is a, <laughs> this is a film. And then it's going to be a journey. You know, you sit down. And I think, you know, if you haven't seen it, it's worth, you know, put it, put aside in the evening, put it, you know, have dinner during the intermission. That's what we did. It was fantastic. Yeah. Like, you know, make an event Actually, of I it. Did, I did the same thing. Yeah. Like if, yeah. if you, if you sort of make an event of it as if it was in a cinema and like nowadays, you know, with how big TVs are and how good, how easy it is to get really good, a really good experience at home. You can really experience this film as it would have been mm-hmm. in the sixties. And it's, it's quite, it's something. Yeah. Totally. I, I would, if, if anywhere did like a proper cinema screening of this with you know with the intermission oh, and the so good and the drinks bar and the and everything i would, that would be yeah, crazy. we would absolutely like would that would be there. amazing yeah that'd be good we would fly adam over and we could yeah. hang out and enjoy it. <laughs> 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 yeah man totally um yeah i i, I think you both summarized kind of my my thoughts in general um I, I guess the only other thing that i wanted to add as we kind of wrap up is that i think sometimes when you look at older films there's a tendency to have like this kind of rose tinted like well, we have to hold them to the standard of their time, not the standard of today. But when you find a film like this that just kind of holds up because it was so well, um, it's so well developed. Like it's a very developed story. It feels very matured, and like it kind of is at the it's it's at a point in its development cycle where like it doesn't feel like a lot of older stuff where they went oh we'll just we'll just make it good enough for people today. Yeah. They went we're gonna make something that is gonna last and really like endure. And I, I think it's a testament to all the people involved, and it's a testament to how weird. T. Lawrence's life was that <laughs> you can take this book that was fairly inaccurate about his life, craft it into a story which isn't really based on the book as much as it could be, and then at the end of it still have this coherent, driven story with all of these interesting thematic influences and, and, and different drivers, and I don't know, it, it's it's always a joy to go back to something this good, and you know, it, it's, it's, it's a film that I think, you know, if you watch it once every two or three years, you would get something totally different from it because yeah. you're a different person at a different place in time. So I'm definitely going to definitely gonna revisit this as as time goes on. Um, but I think that's it for that the, the main portion of our show. So to kind of wrap up, I just wanted to, to quickly get a plug-in for your book, Adam. So where can people find Caravan when it's coming out? Where's, what's the best place to point them to? Uh, best place to find it would be on Amazon and uh, Barnes & Nobles and any bookstore you could find it. Uh, yeah, basically anywhere you can find it, even on yeah, ebook, totally. uh, in ebook form, you can find it, you know, Kindle, all iBooks, all that stuff. Excellent. Check I'll, it out. I'll, I'll pop a link in the show uh, notes for that. So everyone can, can find that. Yeah. One. Yeah. Sure thing. I'll, I'll, I'll send one over, uh, best place you can get it for the best price would be, uh, at my blog, third lion stories, me and a couple authors, uh, throw up some, um, uh, some short stories for free, uh, check it out that's where it's going to be at and uh yeah that's where it's going to be at yeah, for cool, the best man. price excellent we'll definitely check it out um i we're, do we it's going to do our plugs but i feel like um we're already like nearly at 50 minutes um yeah we we don't have to do our plugs but you, <laughs> you'll, you'll already know where to buy my book um 
and you can get involved with that. We just got these new mugs that have come out. Adam, you can't see it, but I'm showing the camera. We just have, we've got we, new we branding mugs. mugs. We have, we have so you can yeah. go, go, go get those. Yeah. They're Legit. good, man. Um, nice and pink, so you can grab those. Uh, uh, they'll, they'll deliver in time for Christmas, so get one for your nan, get one for yourself, uh, get one for your cat. Just buy a handful of them, man. Um, so check those out. If you want to support us directly, <laughs> patreon.com slash DCMworks. Otherwise, thanks for joining us, Adam. It's been a pleasure. It's been awesome, man. Thank yeah, you so much for having me it's, on, bro. Uh, you know, and we'll be catching up and doing a, a sort of an in-depth interview about your book at some point as well, maybe maybe more towards when it's coming out. So keep an eye out for that as well if you enjoyed this one. And, you know, maybe in the future we'll have you on for some other stuff if you're interested because I feel like I had a good time. And, yeah, thanks for stopping yeah. by. Thanks. Yeah, how Hell yeah, man. Love to be on cool, again. See All ya. right. Well, uh, if you want to follow us individually, I'm at DCMIHitePie. I'm at Literal Citrus. Do you have do a, you have a, a Twitter, Twitter handle, Adam? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm at uh, Adam DeColibus, uh, just at, at Twitter and Facebook Excellent. and all that stuff. Just cool, Adam Get on board. Uh, and otherwise, I'll see you guys next week. <laughs>